Good morning, everyone. We're waiting on our bass player, so he's due here any second. That's with a delay. So when he walks through the door, y'all clap for him. It's Randy Sugg. He just pulled up. That'll teach him to be late. <laughs> he might not come back. <laughs> I can't see. We do have choir at 5 o'clock. So saith Summer. Um, and... Nibby's not here. I wouldn't dare do that in front of Nibby. Because <laughs> Nibby tells me all the time, do not touch the microphone. Um, now that Randy's here, we can start. Um, let me call your attention just real briefly to the announcements on the back of your worship sheet. Um, particularly the um, the swim next Sunday evening from 6 until 8. Um, hot dogs and drinks will be provided. If you will furnish a side dish, a dessert, or most importantly, are you listening? This is the most important thing that will be there. Homemade ice cream. Yeah. If you can provide some homemade ice cream, um, please see Christine Cornelius. Correct? Where are you? There you are. Um, side dish dessert or homemade ice cream next Sunday night, 6 to 8, at the Aqua City, whatever direction that is. Um, all right. Again, thank you for your patience. We're called True Face. As you well know, some of you may not know, we're kind of a combination group of uh, Chapel Hill and Community Baptist, and uh, we're playing here once a month, doing all the, the uh, praise songs for you. This first one is called I See the Lord.
God's people said. They have set the stage. Let us pray. Almighty God, we gather this morning first and foremost to worship you. You are great and mighty and holy. You spoke creation into being. You imagined color in the red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, black, and white bloomed. The warmth of the sun, the beauty of the moon, the nourishing rain, and the comforting breeze. And then you made us out of the dust of the earth. And then you did the unimaginable. You called us your children. Wow. So, God, we gather as your children. We need this time together as family to love and encourage each other. Some say they don't need to come to church because they can worship you out on the river. While it is true that we can worship you any time in any place, we need this time to find support and hold each other up. We need the love and strength of our brothers and sisters to make it through the tough times. We need a place to share and celebrate with them in the good times. Thank you for this place to gather as family. And God, thank you for the rain. Your colors look brighter and the earth just seems to smile when it's your sprinkler system at work. Bless those for whom this heat is unbearable. Use us to give them relief and a comfortable place to be. God, thank you for loving us. And God, we love you too. Amen. We welcome you to Community Baptist Church. I am not Tim Hobbs. <laughs> I don't have the beard. Um, for those of you who may not know, Tim Hobbs is scurrying the mountains of Denali in Alaska. Um, God bless him. <laughs> Sounds like a great trip if you are following him on Facebook. Um, so um, I am, I'm Mary Rye. I am a member at Community Baptist Church. I am also the chaplain at Methodist Hospital. Um, it is my privilege to be with you all this morning. For those of you who are guests, we are especially glad that you are here. Um, we invite you at the end of the service to stop by our um, guest table. There will be a gift for you. For, the, for everyone, if you will um, take the little red tablet and... Um, sign it and give us as much information as you're comfortable giving us. If you give us your email address, we will send you our weekly um, newsletter that comes via email. So we welcome you to Community Baptist Church. Let me encourage you to um, stand and greet one another with a holy handshake or a holy kiss if you decide that that's appropriate. Which, what's your pleasure? Uh, makes me no difference. <laughs> I'm down with it all. I'm sure. I, I will. Call the cheering game. I'll take the holy kiss, by the way. Who wants a holy kiss? It's scratchy, I can tell. Let me invite the boys and girls to come up to for children's worst for the children's moment. They wouldn't think of it. They would not think of it. Let me invite the children up for our children's moment with Miss Nora. Come on up, cheering. Yeah. 
y'all hear me? I've got a green. There I am. Now you can hear me, can't you? Hey, I've got a question for you this morning, um, and it may be something you've already thought about, but I want to know. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be? A lawyer. Okay. What do you want to be? Do you know? What do you want to be? A baseball player. Okay. So have you thought about what you're going to have to do to be a lawyer? So you're going to have to take a lot of tests. And will you have to study for those tests, do you think, and and go to school and get that? Okay, well, good. I am tickled that you have a plan set out. What about being a baseball player? What are you going to have to do to be a baseball player? Get an education. Well, good. Do you think you'll have to practice any of it? Yeah, yes, you do. Okay. Anybody else? know what they want to be when they grow up? It's okay. I haven't decided what I'm going to be either. <laughs> what do you Tell me, what do you want to do? Well, whatever it is, whatever you figure out to be your talent, I hope that you will practice at it so you will be well at whatever it is. That's wonderful. I have a lot of grandchildren, but I have one in particular that is going to be a swimmer. Have you been watching the swimmers on the Olympics getting ready for that? And I have a picture of him getting ready to start. I want you all to come up here. Wait a minute. Let's see. These technology things, I don't know that I can do it. All right. Here is the one, and I hope that you can see it. I put it on here. See, see, there's all these people standing around. These people that are in the khaki and the white, they're the officials. And then they have their, their swim caps on and their swimsuits. His is yellow. He just jumped in there. There are lane ropes in the pool, and they must swim in that lane. They can't get in any of the other lanes. And he is swimming what they call the freestyle right there and he's going to swim to the end of the pool and then he's going to touch it and then he will turn around along with all the others and they're racing not only against each other but the clock because they want to have the best time now to start swimming they have to all start at the same place and they all have to uh, wait for the whistle to blow for them to take off. If not, well, if not, they all start at different times and they could be disqualified. So he doesn't get to finish his race as a swimmer. Well, here's what I want to ask you about. You know, one of the jobs that we can have growing up, and I hope each of us choose, is to be a Christian. And you know... We are a Christian every day, and people are standing around watching us, even though we don't see them, even though we may be swimming through the water and only trying to reach our goal. There are people around watching us. So in whatever you do as a profession in your life, remember that you're a Christian, and people are watching you to see if you are swimming the right way. And starting at the right time. Because a lot of times we think, well, if I do this, no one sees me. But you'll be surprised at how many people are watching. So let's bow our heads and we'll pray to God and say, Dear God, we know that you are with us. Whether we're in the swimming pool or whether we're at school or whether we're with our friends. You're with us all the time. And we are so thankful for that. Please help us to do what is best. Help us to come to Sunday school and to church and to learn. Help us to ask questions and uh, ask people if what we're doing is the right thing because even though we may not think people are watching us, they are watching us and we want to be a wonderful reflection of your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Now you may go back. Thank you.
Will you stand with me as we read our responsive reading together? Worship is a gift from God. In worship, we are invited to come in the very presence of God, to be met by God's grace and encircled by God's love. Worship is a promise. In worship, we see the vision of the day yet to come, the hope of what is yet to be. In the present hour, we wait for the coming kingdom. Worship is a demand. In worship, God demands from us the best of our heads and our hearts. God demands of us our very lives. With gratitude and joy, promise and hope, commitment and dedication, let us worship the Lord our God. You can remain standing and join and sing with us if you like. You live among the least of these, the weary and the weak. And it would be the tragedy for me to turn away. And all my needs you have so Oh, 
Be seated. Please follow along with our scripture for today. It's taken from the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 14 through 29. The death of John the Baptist. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised for the dead. And for this reason, these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Father, as we bow before you, we think of how you love us. We're thankful for the life that you give each of us, 
We're thankful for life eternal. Father, help us to love you with all our hearts, all our mind, and all our soul. Help us to love one another as you have loved us. Father, we ask that you bless your word today. And you bless this tithe and offering. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, oh. 
Shane Clyburn up there somewhere. See what? We're having technical difficulties. We'll get back to Shane. Shane Clyburn is a 37-year-old social activist and advocate for nonviolence and service to the poor. He worked with Mother Teresa in Calcutta, and he is one of the founding members of The Simple Way in Philadelphia. After discussing a youth group member who was arrested for acid, Clyburn asked what happened. The teenager replied, I got bored. This was Clyburn's response. God forgive us for all those we have lost because we made the gospel boring. I am convinced, says Clyburn, that if we lose kids to the culture of drugs and materialism, of violence and war, it's because we don't dare them, not because we don't entertain them. It's because we make the gospel too easy, not because we make the gospel too difficult. Kids want to do something heroic with their lives, which is why they play video games and join the army. But what, that, but what are they to do with a church that teaches them to tiptoe through life so they can arrive safely at death? Huh. I think Shane Clyburn is absolutely right. And it's just not and it's not just teenagers. It's all of us. So let's go back to today's passage. King Herod, king being a superficial title because he really wasn't a king, had married his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. And John the Baptist, Baptist being baptizer, not cooperative Baptist or Southern Baptist, John the Baptist was less than supportive. That in and of itself tells us two things. First, his brother Philip was most likely still alive. If Philip Philip had died, it would have been Herodias' obligation to take in his sister-in-law and provide for her. Number two, Herodias was probably a willing participant since she was really hacked off at John the Baptist for being so vocal with his disapproval of Herod being husband number two. Herodias was so angry that she wanted John dead, but Herod wasn't willing to kill him, so he just had John arrested and thrown in prison. Although, interestingly enough, Herod respected John. Verse 20 says, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. So Herod thought that this was a good compromise just to have John in prison. John didn't have an audience to voice his disapproval, but Um, Herod still had access to him. He figured that it would ward off Herodias' angry threats and preserve John's life. Problem solved. I don't know how long he intended to keep John there, but at least for now, it was a good solution. Or so Herod thought. Until he decided to throw himself a birthday party. It was a big hoop-de-doo party with all the upper crust. He invited the courtiers, and these are the people who attend the royal court as companion or advisor to the king or queen. They are those who flatter and charm to obtain favor or advantage. They were to Herod what Cato Caitlin was to O.J. Simpson. He, was also, he also invited the military leaders and the leaders of Galilee. 
It was a banquet with all the finest and for all of the uppity-ups. Things were growing great until Herod and Herodias' daughter offered to entertain the crowd. She was either a really good dancer or Herod, like most dads at their daughter's dance recital, was so proud and pleased that his guests loved her that he promised her anything, anything, up to half his kingdom, anything. Ask me anything you want and I'll give it to you, and he promised her with an oath. Well, like any teenage girl who had just been given an unlimited credit card at the front door of the mall, her first impulse was to look to her mother for advice. Herodias realized that this was her chance. Herod had sworn an oath in front of his upper-crust, influential, successful, keeping-up-with-the-Joneses kind of guests. Herod was relishing in his status until his daughter came back with her payment invoice. She wanted the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now, I'm fascinated that Herodias just said she wanted John the, John the Baptist's head, but by the time her daughter had walked across the room, it had become an act of not just death, but humiliation, John's head on a platter. Wow. Now here's the dilemma. If Herod goes back on his word, it will wreak all kinds of havoc. And as we all know, once an oath has been sworn, it isn't supposed to be retracted. Just ask Isaac. Going back on his oath meant Herodias would be furious. He might even lose his status that he had gained with his influential friends. He might lose his position as king. And his own daughter would have made him look like a fool. But if he carried out his promise, he would be committing murder. He would be murdering the very man he respected and listened to. The scriptures don't tell us how long it took Herod to make his decision. We don't know how long he struggled, but we do know that he did struggle with what to do. Verse 26 says, The king was greatly distressed because of his oaths, and because of his dinner guests. He had just painted himself into a really tiny corner. Homicide or havoc? Murder or mockery? To us, this doesn't sound like a very big decision. We're not going to commit murder in order to keep a promise to a teenage girl. That's just stupid. But we often let Herod off the hook by saying that in those days, once an, earth, once an oath is sworn, it cannot be undone. A promise is a promise no matter what. It seems that way when Isaac gave the blessing to Jacob instead of Esau. He couldn't just go back and say, oops, sorry, made a mistake. And the family inheritance is a major issue even today. But murder? It's a good thing that we're not bound by those same restrictions now. Once we set a plan in motion, we can just pull the cord for the brakes and stop the train. We can call a do-over and change our minds, right? Sure we can. Just ask Richard Nixon or Bernie Madoff or Joe Paterno. My goodness, how does this happen? How do we get into such a big mess 
and things get so out of control that we cannot put a stop to it. Herod and his contemporaries, Nixon, Madoff, and Paterno were all successful, respected, influential members of society. Or at least they were seen that way, and they liked it. They liked being in place of power. They liked being able to call the shots. They liked having people hang on their every word. And shoot, who wouldn't? If we're all honest with ourselves, we'd love the idea that we could be that special, that successful. And so we pounded into our heads and into our children's heads that this is the measure of success, power, influence, money. We want to be successful and we want it so badly that we might just shave a little off the truth here or there. No big deal. The bulk of the truth is still there. (laughs) Besides, everybody does it. When I bought my house in Greenville, South Carolina, I will say Greenville, South Carolina, um, it had just a single driveway. There wasn't any place to park except for the space right in front of the garage. A friend of mine who was a building contractor said he would get a couple of guys from the church together and they would put down some concrete to add another row of parking and widen my driveway. Great, I said, knowing I could save some money on labor, but I asked him how much the concrete would be. He told me that he would just have one of his trucks come over and pour the concrete at my house from a job he was doing elsewhere and would charge it off to the other guy. It wasn't much concrete in the grand scheme of things. What's the big deal? Being a Christian is hard. Becoming a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that's easy. Paul outlines it in his epistle to the Romans. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is in your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth you confess and are saved. But living out this confession is a whole nother ball of wax. If you do it right, if you live out this confession, Jesus is Lord, life gets tough. Schedules get inconvenient. And the measure of success gets shifted. On the outside, it appeared that Joe Paternal was the leader to emulate. He had been the head coach of Penn State for nearly 46 years. At the time of his death, he held the record for the most victories by any NCAA Division I football bowl subdivision coach with 409 and was the only football bowl subdivision coach to reach 400 victories. He coached five undefeated teams that won major bowl games, and in 2007, he was inducted to the College Football Hall of Fame as a coach. On the outside, he was respected, loved, followed, and emulated. Every coach from the peewee leagues to the professional teams wanted to be just like Joe Paterno. And yet... When push came to shove, when it came down to putting it all on the line, when it looked like it would cost Penn State their NCAA Division I status, it would cost Jerry Sandusky his not-for-profit charity, The Second Mile. Isn't it interesting that it's named after the Bible passage about being a servant leader? 
when it looked like it would cost Joe Paterno his career and his status, he balked. What would it cost us if we put our status and our success second to our confession? Jesus is Lord. For Eric Lytle, it nearly cost him his place in history as an Olympian in 1924. The movie Chariots of Fire is based on his story. While boarding a boat to Paris for the Olympics, Lytle learns the news that the heat for his 100-meter race will be held on Sunday. He refuses to run the race, despite the strong pressure from the Prince of Wales and the British Olympic Committee, because his Christian convictions prevented him from running on the Sabbath. His religious convictions in the face of national athletic pride made headlines around the world. Will it at some point cost Taylor Swift her place in country music? She says, for everything I do, I think about a six-year-old girl and her mom that I saw at my concert last night. I think about what those two individuals would think if I were at a club last night. I never want to be arrested, and I never want to get a DUI. Those are my moral values. In my most humble opinion, it cost Jimmy Carter a second term as president. It cost John the Baptist his life. So we challenge our children to stand strong, to take the high road, to be honest, to live their confession, Jesus is Lord, and yet we fail to model that for them. Living our confession is messy. It's hard. It can be inconvenient. Do we model for our children, for our friends, and for the world that church isn't someplace you go because you don't have anything else to do on Sunday? That the Bible isn't something you read just because you've run out of books? And that prayer isn't a conversation you have because you don't have anybody else to talk to? God help us if we are trying to make following Jesus easy. It isn't. It's hard. And if you're looking for an easy life and easy answers, you might as well leave now because you're not going to find it here. Living your confession will cost you your life. But... Yes, Ethel, there's a but. But what do we have to gain when we live our confession? Jesus is Lord. This is the very heart of the gospel, the good news. John's gospel records Jesus' words. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. There are some who will tell you that Jesus meant for us to have the big house with the cement pond in the backyard, a garage full of uh, cars and more clothes than we can wear. But that wasn't the kind of abundance Jesus was talking about. The Gospel of Matthew records the kind of abundance Jesus had in mind. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, 
and you came to visit me. When we lay down our lives for our friends, that just doesn't mean that we die for our friends, but to literally lay aside what's going on with our own lives to tend to what's going on in someone else's life. That's abundant life. That's living our confession. And it may and most likely will cost you something. But my goodness, the payoff is huge for John the Baptist and for us. The payoff is a life of integrity and peace and dignity and respect and forgiveness and true lifelong friends and having a voice that is heard and the ability to care for and protect those who cannot do it for themselves. If you live the confession, Jesus is Lord, even the smallest house will hold plenty enough to share. And if you don't, the biggest mansion holds nothing. So as my friend Melanie McIntyre says, Carpe the heck out of the diem. Live your confession. It is, far, it is a far better life than anything we could possibly imagine. Thanks be to God. Amen. We are a congregation who gathers to love and support each other. We are a congregation who holds each other accountable for living our confession. We are a congregation who loves and forgives and accepts just as you are. If you have not made that confession, Jesus is Lord. I invite you to do that today. And I'll warn you, it's hard. But the payoff is huge. If you would like to make that confession today, I will meet you right here as we sing. May we stand.
Thank you.